Good morning. It's wonderful to be together this morning. I want to start out by just reminding you of something that's coming up in four weeks. It is our annual Netherwood Park family encampment up at Ponderosa Christian Camp. Uh, There are registration forms out at the welcome booth, green forms that look like this. I would encourage you to get your form, get it filled out and turned into me as soon as possible. Cabin spaces fill up fairly quickly. Those cabins are on a first-come, first-served basis, so if you want to have the prime cabin, it's already too late for that. But if you want to have a cabin, you should get it turned in pretty quickly. This is a really fun time, an important time in the life of this church. So get your form, get it filled out, turn back in to me, and we'll look forward to seeing you up there in four weeks. I also want to give you a Bible reading challenge update To date, as a congregation, we have read 1,401 books of the Bible. And every self-respecting preacher would tell you that we've read just under 1,500 books of the Bible. That's the way that we're supposed to count, I think. The reason that we do have a Bible reading challenge and have had for the last few years is because we want to encourage everybody to make Bible reading a part of their regular routine. We believe in the power of the word. We believe in the power of God's word. And so we encourage everybody to read their Bible on a regular basis. I also want you to know that we very much believe in the power of prayer. We believe prayer is powerful and effective, and we would love to pray for you. We'd encourage you that if you have a prayer request that you would like for us to know about, to reach in front of you and pull out one of these green cards Fill out your prayer request and then drop it in one of our collection boxes. We'll then take those cards and we'll send out those prayer requests to some 400 email addresses. So people will be praying for you and your request. So please take advantage of that. Prayer is powerful and prayer is effective. We also want you to know about us here at Netherwood Park that we believe in the power of baptism. We believe that it's in baptism that we join with Jesus in his death his burial, and his resurrection. We believe that in baptism we are washed clean. We're clothed with Christ. We're gifted with the Holy Spirit that we are lifted up to live as new creatures following in the steps of our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. So if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah and you haven't been baptized, we really should have a conversation about that. And to have that conversation, we'd encourage you to take that same green card, turn it over on the back, fill out your contact information, and check the box about baptism. And you can know that tomorrow I'll give you a call and we'll start that conversation. We believe in the power of baptism. I also want you to know that we believe in the power of the church, the church universal and the church local. We believe that it's important for every Christian to be a member of a church. The church needs you, and you need the church. So if you've been attending Netherwood for a while, and you haven't yet let us know that you want to be a part of this church, we really should talk about that as well. On that same card, if you'd fill out your contact information, check the box about being a member of the church, drop it in the collection box, the two that are at the back, or the one that's through these double doors, and I'll call you on Monday, and we'll start that conversation as well. There is power in the church. Well, today we're nearing the end of our sermon series from the book of Romans. Next week we'll actually end the series, and we'll end the series the way that Paul ends his letter. We'll end the series in praise and worship. 
praise and worship of the God who has given us the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this morning, we're going to focus on a part of Paul's letter that's often overlooked. In fact, I think it's a part of the letter that's just often skipped over. And I think it's overlooked and skipped over because it isn't hardcore theology. And it isn't doxology. I think it's often overlooked because it seems kind of mundane and unimportant. It's just like something you might read in any letter. But we're not going to overlook this section of Paul's letter. And we're not going to overlook it because it provides a really important glimpse into who Paul was. And why Paul was able to be so influential as a messenger of the gospel. We're not going to overlook the 16th chapter of Romans because it provides us with additional clues about how we can imitate Paul as he follows Jesus Christ. And we aren't going to ignore the 16th chapter of Romans because I think it might just change your opinion. It might just change your mental image of Paul. So for those things to happen, I'm going to really need everybody to engage this morning. Can you do that? Can everybody focus this morning? I need everybody to clear out those cobwebs that might be in your mind, put your brains in gear, and get ready to use your imaginations this morning. Can you do that? I don't hear anybody saying yes. Let me ask you again. Can you do that? Are you ready to do that? Okay, you four people that are ready to go, we're going to do this together. Here we go. So here's your first task. I want you to bring up a mental image of Paul, your mental image of Paul. In your imagination, in your image, what does Paul look like? What does Paul sound like? What is Paul's personality like? If you were here last week, you'll hopefully remember that I used some words to describe Paul. I said that Paul was bold. We recognize that Paul was passionate. He was passionate about his God-given duty to spread the gospel. We reminded ourselves last week that Paul was unashamed. He was unashamed of the gospel. We noticed last week that Paul was certain. He was certain about who he was and certain about what God had called him to do. We also saw that Paul was consistent. Paul practiced what he preached and he preached what he practiced. And it was clear last week as we were going through the scriptures that Paul was very single-minded. We said in the very best senses of the words, he was a maniac, he was a zealot, he was a Jesus freak. He was consumed by the the gospel, and the gospel consumed him. And we saw that he was obsessed with spreading the gospel. And those were some of the words that we used last week to describe Paul. Bold, passionate, unashamed, certain, consistent, single-minded. So what's your mental image of Paul? Well, let me give you a couple of other words that we might add to that list. Paul is an intellectual. Make no mistake, Paul was always the smartest guy in the room. You didn't want to get into a debate with Paul because he's smarter than you and he's better educated than you. He's just one of those guys. But if you are so inclined, Paul will debate you because Paul is also forceful. 
Paul's comfortable in asserting himself. He's willing to confront. He will call people out. He's a forceful intellectual. So how's your mental image of Paul looking now? How do you have Paul pictured in your mind? Well, what are some words maybe that we're missing? What descriptive words of Paul would you add to your mental image? I think I would be tempted to add the word independent. I think I've always pictured Paul as that kind of strong male stereotype. You know, that self-made man, self-contained, self-sufficient, self-assured, a rock, an island. I think I've always pictured Paul as someone that others depend on, but really doesn't depend on anybody else. And if I'm being totally honest, I'd be tempted maybe to describe Paul as being somewhat severe. Maybe a little overly serious. Maybe a little overly strict. Maybe even a little cold. So I think my mental image of Paul has always been of this brilliant, independent Intimidating, gruff, hard-nosed, rigid, unsmiling, professorial, unapproachable legend of a man. I mean, he's not like Peter, right? Peter we can relate to because Peter's always messing up and saying things that he probably shouldn't say. Or maybe not like John because John's always talking about love and we can relate to that. Paul doesn't seem like he's that type. You know, he seems like the type that's respected, but not necessarily loved. That's been my mental image of Paul. What's your mental image? Well, with your mental image in mind, would it surprise you to find out that Paul was actually a people person? That Paul actually had many close, warm, and affectionate relationships. With your mental image in mind of Paul, would it surprise you to find out that Paul had a heart that just overflowed with personal love? Personal love for individuals. With your mental image of Paul in mind, would it surprise you to find out that far from being independent, Paul was actually quite dependent He depended on a variety of people for a a variety of different things. So take a moment and wrap your mind around that mental image of Paul. Not only bold and passionate, not only unashamed and certain, not only consistent and single-minded, not only a forceful intellectual, but also warm-hearted, loving, and dependent Paul. So where does that part of the image come from? How can we know this about Paul? How can we know that Paul was a people person with warm and loving relationships who was dependent on various friends for various things? Well, we can know that from these letters that Paul wrote, the letters that we find in our Bibles. See, in each one of those letters, Paul is not only the Apostle Paul, he's not only Messenger Paul, he's not only Theologian Paul, he's not only full of advice and instruction and rebukes and encouragement, he also sprinkled throughout each of those letters, he also pulls the curtain back 
And he gives us a glimpse of our brother, Paul, of our friend, Paul. These glimpses are sprinkled throughout all of his letters, but in Romans, in Romans chapter 16, Paul pulls back the curtain and he leaves it open for a long time. Long enough for us to get more than just a glimpse of brother Paul, more than just a glimpse of our friend Paul. At the end of this letter, after Paul has done all that heavy theological lifting, Paul gets personal. Okay, it's time to rev those brains back up. Here we go. Some Time to do some more imagining. I want you to imagine this scene. It's inside of a modest dwelling. And Paul is there. And Paul's finishing up this letter written to the church in Rome. But Paul doesn't have a pen in hand. And Paul isn't alone. See, Paul's been dictating this letter. His friend and brother in Christ, Tertius, has been there. And Tertius has been doing the actual writing. Paul's been speaking and Tertius has been writing it down. And Paul hasn't been dictating a dry theological manuscript. Just a dry manuscript to be sent out to a bunch of nameless and faceless church attendees in faraway Rome. Now Paul's been writing a personal letter. Been writing a personal letter to real people with real names and real faces and real stories. Now, Paul hasn't actually been to Rome, so he doesn't know all of their names, and he doesn't know all of their faces, and he doesn't know all of their stories, but he knows many of them. He can picture many faces. He can recall many names, and he's reminded of many stories. And so here at the end of the letter, as we would expect from someone who is a people person, someone who has a heart that's overflowing with love, Paul starts to fondly remember. He starts to think out loud about all of his brothers and sisters in Rome, those who are likely to hear this letter read. Paul remembers them, and he sends his fond greetings to those that he knows and those he loves. And just like everything else, Tertius writes it all down. But it turns out that Paul and Tertius aren't even alone. See, apparently Timothy is there. And Lucius and Jason and Sosipater and Gaius and Erastus and Quartus, they're also there. And as they hear Paul remembering and sending out his greetings, as they hear name after familiar name, it sparks their memories and it sparks their affection. So what do they do? Well, they do exactly what we would do. Timothy and Gaius and the rest of them hear Paul sending out his greetings. And so what do they do? They start shouting out their own greetings. Hey, make sure you tell them hello for me. Hey, make sure you give them my love. And so here at the end of the letter, Tertius writes down those greetings, and he even includes one of his own. And the sheer number of people, the sheer volume of people who are mentioned here at the end of this letter to the church in Rome is astounding. You're going to hear Paul mention 33 different names 24 of those are names of people who are in Rome that Paul sends greetings to. 24. 
And Paul's never even been to Rome. And the other nine names are the names of people who are working with Paul, supporting Paul, helping Paul, supporting supposedly independent Paul as he is in Corinth. But that's not all you're going to hear. You're also going to hear Paul mention two entire households. You're going to hear him mention one man's mother and another man's unnamed sister. So I want you to engage with me and listen for all of those things as Paul pulls back the curtain and Paul gets personal. And whether one other thing for you to listen to, listen for me to mispronounce any number of Greek names as we go through the letter. So um, forgive me for that. Romans chapter 16, verse 1. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a great help to many people, including me. So who is this Phoebe? Well, apparently she was a woman of some means. Maybe she was a businesswoman. She lives near Corinth. She's known for being helpful and she's known for being generous. And she is on her way to Rome. So she's going to carry this letter to Rome. And Paul is basically saying, be nice to Phoebe. Take care of my friend, my helper Phoebe, while she's there with you in Rome. And then once he's taken care of Phoebe, Paul turns his attention to his friends in Rome. Verse 3, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. And not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. And greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. How cool is that? To be able to say you were the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. He says, greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They're outstanding among the apostles. Notice this is little a apostles. They're outstanding among Christ's messengers. And Paul says they were in Christ even before I was. Greet Ampelatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Kind of an aside here. Tryphena and Tryphosa were probably sisters. Those two names mean dainty and delicate. So if this was written in English, Paul might say, Greek dainty and delicate in the Lord. Those who work to the point of exhaustion in the Lord. Maybe they weren't so dainty and delicate after all. And he goes on to say, Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. He says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother who has been a mother to me too. Rufus is likely the son of Simon of Cyrene, the man who carried Jesus' cross. 
Notice that Paul occasionally needs some mothering too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. And greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Then if you skip down to verse 21, this is where the other people who are around Paul get into the greetings act. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, and my relatives. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, he sends you his greetings. And Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus, send you their greetings. It's quite a list, isn't it? It's quite a number of greetings. Well, it's time to get back to work. After hearing that, what's your mental image of Paul now? After you've heard all of those names, after you've heard all of those descriptions, after you've heard those endearments, after you've heard just bits and pieces of their stories, they risked their lives for me. I am grateful to them. Oh, he's my dear friend. She's a hard worker. They're outstanding among the apostles. Oh, he, he's someone I love in the Lord. He's my fellow worker. He's tested and approved by the Lord. He's chosen in the Lord. She's been a mother to me. And please share my love by greeting each other with a holy kiss. What's your mental image of Paul now? And as we're forming that mental image of Paul, we should also pay attention to the makeup of those he greets and loves. Who does Paul send his greetings to? Well, he mentions Jews and Greeks. He name-checks males and females. He commends rich people and poor people. See, it's obvious that Paul is practicing what he preaches. Paul's living out what he wrote in Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 26, when he said, You are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, when Paul's calling to mind all of those names of his Christian brothers and sisters in Rome, he's focusing on what's important about them. He doesn't focus on their race or their nationality. He doesn't focus on their gender. He doesn't focus on their economic level or their social status. He focuses on the fact that just like him, they are clothed with Christ. Priscilla and Aquila risked their lives for me while clothed with Christ. Andronicus and Junius were with me in prison while clothed with Christ. Tryphena and Tryphosa work hard in the Lord while clothed with Christ. Rufus's mom has been a mother to me too while clothed with Christ. 
So let's get back to work. Now imagine this. Imagine that you're at one of those house churches in Rome. And you've gotten word that Phoebe has just, Phoebe has just arrived from Corinth and she has in her possession a letter from Paul. And so you gather with other Christians to hear Paul's letter read. And you've listened now to Paul's theology. And you've heard Paul's doxology. And now you're hearing this list of greetings. And imagine this. Imagine you hear your name. Maybe you hear Paul mention how you risk your life for him. Maybe you hear Paul describe you as a hard worker in the Lord. Maybe you hear Paul say that he loves you. Maybe you hear Paul say that you've been tested and approved in Christ. Maybe you even hear Paul call you his mother. Imagine what your response would be. Imagine what the response of those in Rome who heard their names read. What do you imagine that felt like? You also need to imagine this. This is the first century. There aren't phones, there isn't an internet, there aren't even telegraphs, there's not an effective mail system, there aren't planes, trains, or automobiles, none of those things. How do you stay in touch? I don't know about you, but here I am in the 21st century, and I don't do a very good job of keeping track of my friends who live across town, let alone those who live across the state or across the country or across the world. But Paul somehow has kept up with his friends who were 750 miles away in a city he had never visited. And believe it or not, Paul didn't even have Facebook. Those were the primitive days. Imagine how much effort it took for Paul to keep up with all of those people, with all of the people who are behind those names. You should picture Paul down at the ports in Corinth, greeting people as they came off the ship, saying things like, any news about Priscilla and Aquila? Did you happen to see Tryphena and Tryphosa while you were in Rome? What's the latest about Rufus, and how's his mom doing? What's your image of Paul now? Do you see the whole image Do you see the bold, passionate, unashamed, consistent messenger of the gospel and the affectionate, concerned messenger of personal love? Because Paul was all of those things. And if we're going to imitate Paul as he imitated Jesus Christ, we need to imitate all of Paul. We need to be bolder messengers. We need to be more passionate messengers. We need to be more consistent messengers. And we need to be more affectionate messengers. And more concerned messengers. And more personal messengers. And more loving messengers. Because when we see the whole image of Paul, we learn some very important lessons from Paul. See, as we've gone through Romans, we've learned that theology and doxology are important. But here we also learn that people are important too. 
And we've learned that theology and doxology have tremendous transforming power. But here we also learn that authentic Christian love, authentic Christian affection, that makes a tremendous difference in our cold and indifferent world. And from Paul, we learn that one bold, single-minded, unashamed, gifted messenger of the gospel has the ability to change the world, literally change the world. But we also learn that not even Paul was an island. And we learn from Paul that hearts that are filled with love, with the love of Christ, those hearts are contagious, and that love is contagious. Paul was able to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the Gentile world. And the reason he was able to do that was because the gospel of Jesus Christ was attached to the love of Jesus Christ. And the gospel and the love came together in Paul. Paul was a head person, but he was also a heart person. Paul was passionate about the gospel and he was passionate about people. And that's what makes Paul worth imitating. That's the true image of someone who's being transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ. So my brothers and sisters, whom I love in the Lord, let us imitate Paul just as he imitated Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your servant, Paul. Father, we thank you for how bold he was, how passionate he was. And Father, we thank you for how loving he was and how concerned he was about his brothers and sisters. And Father, help us to imitate all of those things about our brother, Paul. So that in us, Father, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ may be joined together so that we can shine his light into the world around us. Father, help us to be your effective messengers in the cold, dark world around us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. And everybody said, amen. It's time for uncomfortable challenge number 30, and this is an appreciation challenge. Let me introduce it this way. I'm going to give you some names. Ross and Mabel Hooten. Hubert and Marie Cope. Earl and May Bradley. Joe and Mary Young. Tom Young. Letha Young. Dale Young. For most of you here, those names don't mean anything to you. But those names mean everything to me. Those names are names of people, none of whom are still alive, but names of people who are vital to my Christian walk because they loved the gospel and they loved me. And as I've been reflecting on this, that's just a very short, small sampling of the names of people who have been vital in my Christian walk. And there are a number of those names and faces here this morning. So with that in mind, this is your challenge for the week. This week, do your own inventory of all the people, past and present, who have been vital to your Christian walk. Take a trip down memory lane. 
And then, if it's possible, if they're still alive and you know how to contact them, reach out to them and express to them your gratitude for what they have done to lead you to where you are in Jesus Christ. Send your greetings for the role that they've played in your life. And then, get on your knees and express your gratitude to God for putting those people in your life and your gratitude for God for their role in helping you as you live by faith. That's your challenge for the week. Let's stand, let's sing about living by faith. Sing, Lord, like a shepherd,